we'd like to do this week for this retreat at the end of our reports is take about 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes, and look at the book of Revelation together. So if you have your Bibles, maybe you didn't bring one with you, but if you have one electronic or paper, I invite you to turn there with me. And many of you are very familiar with the recent video that's created a lot of attention and stir, we could say, um, with Tony, Tony Palmer, Anglican bishop, addressing a large gathering of evangelical charismatics led by Kenneth Copeland, and then, of course, a video presentation by the Pope. And one of the very interesting things in that presentation was Tony Palmer's repeated statement that the really the Protestant Reformation is over. You know, there's really no reason. Now, do you buy that? No. Uh, I, don't, I don't buy that either. Um, for lots of different reasons. First of all, the Catholic conception of justification by faith is not what we would agree with in terms of justification by faith. There's a whole host of reasons. But it certainly gives us a heads up in terms of the time in which we live. And realizing the time, some of our foundational scriptures, uh, prophetic aspects, become more and more meaningful to us, and particularly the book of Revelation. At the same time, those foundations come under attack from inside and outside the church. There's a, oh, it was a book written about a, probably 10 years ago. It's called The End of Historicism. And uh, it was a doctoral dissertation actually written by an Adventist administrator in, I think he's Swedish or Norwegian, someplace over there in that part of the cold world. Um, and, you know, his, his basic tenant of his talk, his book, rather, his dissertation, was that really out of the Millerite movement came such a confusion over historicism as a method of interpretation when I say in historicism, I'm, I'm talking about looking at the book of Revelation or the book of Daniel as a prophecy that unfolds through history. Had something to say to John's day or Daniel's day, but unfolded and will continue to unfold in history. Again, his title of the book is The End of Historicism, and his argument basically is that the confusion that arose, not just out of the Millerite movement, but in subsequent years, really has undermined confidence in historicism as a biblical foundation. So that's kind of a, a question to address. I'm going to look a little bit more at that tomorrow night. Really, my purpose in these 10, 15-minute little talks in Revelation is to help us refocus on some very important issues in Revelation. Um, what I'm not going to do, to perhaps your disappointment or your pleasure, is I'm not going to be speculative in terms of Bible symbols, and what's happening in current events. Um, but I do hope we'll get a clearer picture both of Jesus Christ and the great controversy as we look closely at the book of Revelation. In the book Testimonies to Ministers, there's a quote very familiar to us each. There is need of a much closer study of the word of God, especially should Daniel and the Revelation have attention as never before in the history of our world. 
more true today than when she wrote it. Amen? Then she goes on to say, we may have less to say in some lines in regard to the Roman power and the papacy, but we should call attention to what the prophets and apostles have written by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God. Interesting point. We may have less to say in regard to Rome and the papal power, although the prophecy is very clear, it's going to increase in power. But we may have less to talk about in regards to that. Why? Well, remember what we, one of the quotes I gave in the very beginning has to do with our theme, one thing. One interest will prevail. One subject will swallow up every other. Christ, our righteousness, not what the Pope's doing. It's important for us not to have our heads in the sand, but it's more important to have our eyes focused on Jesus Christ. And she goes on to say, again, in Testimonies to Ministers, page 112, the Holy Spirit has so shaped matters, both in giving of the prophecy and in the events portrayed, as to teach, listen carefully, that the human agent is to be kept out of sight, hid in Christ, that the Lord God of heaven and his law are to be exalted. So the more we're familiar with the prophecies, the more the prophecies are impacting us, the more hid we should be in Christ, and the less self should appear. Then she goes on to say, see how God wrought to abase the pride of men and lay human glory in the dust. So as we look at the book of Revelation, what I'd like to try to do this week is draw our attention to certain ways the Holy Spirit can humble our pride in the dust, which is what I clearly need, and I believe each one of us needs as well. And thinking about that, um, there's a connection from series A Number nine, page 62, where, again, Ellen White asks this question, what is justification by faith? You know, and she gives this tremendous answer. I love it. What is justification by faith? Well, that's true. It is the work of God in laying the glory of man in the dust and doing for man that which it is not in his power to do for himself When men see their own nothingness, they are prepared to be clothed with the righteousness of Christ. So I can link those two quotations together. We're to look at the prophecy, we're to see the prophecy, and the prophecy is to draw us to be hid in Christ and to have our pride humbled in the dust. When that happens, that really is justification by faith. That's what we really need. It's what I need. We need to have confidence in the way God's led in in the rise and development of this movement, but we also need um, deep humility of heart. So if you have your Bibles, like I said, let's turn to the book of Revelation. And I want to look at one major theme this evening, um, and that is that there is, and some of you have heard me share parts of this before, or perhaps all of it, is that when we read Revelation, something that's very important for us to understand is that there is a heavenly perspective 
and an earthly perspective. We live, unfortunately, most of the time in the earthly perspective. Revelation tries to get us to think and live from a heavenly point of view. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at Revelation chapter 2, and I'm going to give you a few examples. Revelation chapter 2, in verse, starting in verse 8, is the message to the church of Smyrna. And we'll touch more on the churches tomorrow evening, but notice what it says in verse 9. Revelation 2, verse 9. I know your tribulation and your poverty, but what else does it say? You are rich. From an earthly perspective, the church in Smyrna looks poor. It's in poverty from an earthly point of view. From a heavenly point of view, what does it look like? It's rich. It's rich. And we're going to see this theme developed throughout the book of Revelation this evening. It's kind of my main point. And as we, as we look at, at Revelation, I like to use the illustration of a tapestry that John has created through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit working on John, however we want to say that, to create this incredible tapestry. In, instead of using you know, yarn and thread, he uses words. And there are these verbal threads, connections, that weave the entire book of Revelation together. <clears throat> and the more I've studied Revelation, <clears throat> excuse me, the, the picture that largely emerges in that tapestry for me is the great controversy. And that's what I'm going to try to be sharing is how can we really read Revelation through the lens, through the tapestry of the great controversy? And not just read it, but reread it. I think we need to become re-readers of the book of Revelation. I remember many years ago hearing Leslie Harding say, you know, you read a book of the Bible, read it 50 times. And he used the illustration of Ruth. You know, take the book of Ruth, four chapters, and read it 50 times. Well, Revelation demands that kind of re-reading. And as we read it over and over again, different images come to fruition. We see things more clearly. So tonight, the thing I want us to see is this heavenly perspective and the earthly perspective. Revelation chapter 2, we saw um, the church Smyrna is poor, but it's really rich. Of course, we could also turn to Revelation chapter 3, where there's another church, um, Church of Sardis, which has a name that's alive, but it's really what? So from an earthly perspective, it looks alive, but from a heavenly perspective, it's dead. The solemn warning there. Revelation chapter 3, starting in verse 14, the message to the Laodicean church. We're familiar with this, of course. Laodicea thinks that she is rich and clothed in all these things, but really she is poor, miserable, blind, and naked. And John does this throughout the entire book of Revelation. He gives us the earthly point of view, and his aim is to try to get us to live from a heavenly point of view. Ellen White makes a quotation that one thing will be clear as we study the book of Revelation, and that is that the connection between heaven and earth is close and decided. 
So let's look at another illustration of that. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 13. <clears throat> and in Revelation 13, obviously we have two beasts in Revelation 13. And if we were to look at these from a historic sense, we would identify the first beast as the papal system and the second beast. We would, we would identify from a historicist sense, from a prophetic sense, as the United States. Let's leave that aside. I believe it. Don't question that, please. But let's leave that aside for a moment and look at this heavenly perspective and the earthly perspective. From the earthly perspective, the beast is really amazing. What do I mean? Well, let's look here. Revelation chapter 13, the last part of the verse 3. It says, and the whole earth was wondered. The New American Standard that I'm reading from tonight says, was amazed and followed after the beast. And a little later on in verse 4, it says, they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast? Who is able to wage war against him? In verse 5 and 6, this power has power to blaspheme. It has power to make war. Verse 7, it was given to him to make war with the saints and to do what to them? To conquer them. So from an earthly point of view, the beast is astonishing. The world goes after this. The world wonders at it. It's amazed at it. It worships it. Worships it. It looks like it's conquering. It's winning. It's overcoming God's people. From a heavenly point of view, what does it look like? Well, we get an introduction to what it looks like in, in verse 1. And what does it look like? Verse 2, rather. Um, it's this horrendous beast, right? comes up out of the sea. It's got ten horns, seven heads. It's got diadems. We'll come back to that later on in the week. Verse 2, it's part leopard, it's part bear, and it's part lion. Would you like to have one of those as a pet? Of course not. From a heavenly point of view, this is an abomination. And I don't have time to get into it tonight, but John really stresses that in the languages he uses here. From an earthly point of view, people are astonished at this. From a heavenly view, it is an abomination. And I wonder now, we, obviously we would apply this prophetically to the papal system, but I wonder how many things in this world that we wonder after that are really an abomination in heaven's point of view. So many things, I mean, sports, all sorts of things that this is the greatest, but from a heavenly point of view, it's an abomination. Turn back with me to chapter 12. I want to stress one more illustration of this. And again, tonight, I just hope you see something as you reread through Revelation to think about this, that am I living with the eye of sight or the eye of faith? Am I living with the earthly point of view or the heavenly? And we just read in Revelation 13, 7, that the beast has been given power to overcome God's people. And it does overcome God's people. And we see a picture of that in Revelation chapter 12. Revelation 12, chapter 12 has some very important characters that are introduced into the story in chapter 12. There's the woman, there's the dragon, there's Michael. Um, so let's uh, identify those. Of course, the dragon represents who? 
dragon represents Satan. Well, how do we know that? Verse 9. Okay, Revelation 12, verse 9. Very clear that identifies the dragon as Satan. And the woman is a representation of God's people, the church. The dragon is angry at God's people. We know that. In fact, the dragon persecutes the woman, correct? It's brought out in two places in chapter 12, more than two, but let's look at two. In verse 6 of Revelation 12, it says that the woman flees into the wilderness. Who is she fleeing from? She's fleeing from the dragon who has just tried to destroy the child. She flees into the wilderness where she had a place prepared for by God, and God's nourishing her or feeding her there 1,260 days. The point I just want you to, to notice is that the woman is being chased by the dragon. Revelation 13, 7, the dragon has given power to the beast to overcome God's people. Chapter 12 of Revelation um, in verses 13 and 14, it says, The dragon, when the dragon saw he was thrown to the earth, he persecuted the woman who gave birth to the male child. But two wings of the great eagle were given to the woman so that she could fly into the wilderness to her place where she was nourished for a time, times, and a half a time from the presence of the serpent. So we see quite plainly that the church is running away from the dragon from the earthly perspective. From the earthly point of view, it looks at times like the dragon wins. The dragon overcomes God's people. The beast overcomes God's people. He puts God's people to death. He puts them into poverty. He puts them into tribulation. He puts them into hardship. He puts them into difficulty. From an earthly point of view, it looks like he wins. But how does the chapter open? Revelation 12 in verse 1. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. That is the church from the heavenly point of view. From an earthly point of view, the church is small, it's beat up, it's persecuted. From an earthly point of view, your life at times may feel like that. It may feel like there's a challenge in front of your ministry where it feels like the devil's winning. It feels like all the doors are hemmed in and you're just running away, even though maybe God's got a place for you. You're being chased almost from the earthly point of view. But from the heavenly point of view, here's this queen. She's a conqueror. She's standing on the moon. She is invincible. She's got this crown on her head, the sun shining on her. That is the church from the heavenly point of view. And despite the difficulties that come to us and the hardships that come to us, we need to learn to see things from God's point of view. Not just beat about here below, but as we are part of this church that spans the ages and is a conqueror. So as we go back to our homes, to our places of rest tonight, and uh, we think about what God's done in different ministries and what God's going to do, may, may we ask God to help us learn to see things from his perspective. I invite you to kneel with me as we pray.
Father in heaven, thank you for what you are doing around the world. Such a blessing just to hear some reports tonight, and we look forward to the reports all week. But Father, help us not overlook or neglect what you're doing in our individual lives. I know, Father, that there comes to my life and each one of our lives times of question, times of perplexity, Thank you that we're part of a body that's moving forward under your direction. That really we're part of this church, this body, that is pictured as being a conqueror. Help us, Father, to live with that point of view, to not be swayed by the things of this world, but to keep our eyes on you. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.